As the world's greatest football teams square off in the round of 16, we assemble our own squads of international superheroes. The Nerd World Cup begins now. Welcome into the global sensation that is the nerd byword, the only podcast skilled enough to avoid comic book tropes and PKs. In celebration of the World Cup and the only sport Dave deems worthy of his attention, we are compiling our own respective squads of international heroes ready to take the pitch and compete for your votes. But before the initial whistle begins, let's get you all caught up on the latest... Dave, what's shaking? Well, apparently the world of social media is going through some serious uproar. And I'm really interested, uh, since we uh, record a couple of weeks ahead, uh, what this is going to look like even in two weeks' time, because the news has been coming hard and fast when it comes to uh, everything going on with Twitter these days. But of course, as all our listeners no doubt know, because the media can't talk about anything else these days, um, Elon Musk has uh, purchased Twitter making a publicly traded company now, a company owned by a single guy. Uh, they, he paid about $44 billion for the company. Uh, to put that into perspective, uh, for those with a European slant, if you've heard of the channel, right, the channel tunnel, which is a connective tunnel built between France and England underneath the English channel, that thing only costs $21 billion. Uh, to build. So you can literally build a tunnel under the ocean for less money than he spent on Twitter. Uh, and Elon Musk apparently, uh, at least from right from what we can see from the outside looking in right now, seems to be running the company straight into the ground, first eliminating half of the workforce, um, making you know some very interesting changes to Twitter, including the, the verification check mark now being available by subscription for an $8 a month fee, which of course has caused havoc uh, with what appears to be, for example, a official Nintendo account uh, tweeting out an image of Mario flipping everybody the bird, of course, you know, blue check mark, but not actually Nintendo. Um, and then, of course, a pharmaceutical company, uh, we had a fake account for them, also with a blue check mark, saying that insulin will be free and their stock plummeted by nearly 5% <laughs> from one day to the next. It's, it's, it's kind of just absolute havoc on the platform right now. The most recent thing after, uh, as of this recording right now, uh, is uh, some kind of email that was sent um, by uh, Elon Musk to the employee saying that he's going to have a more hardcore culture. Uh, quote unquote hardcore. This is actually a direct quote, um, and uh, that uh, he was giving them sort of an ultimatum, and a whole bunch of people decided not to stay with the company and leave. This led to some kind of uh, lockdown at the building, where he uh, ordered the building to be closed up early for the weekend, so nobody could go in there and potentially sabotage the company. And uh, some Twitter employees have indicated via tweet, which the irony. Um, that apparently he locked himself out accidentally when trying to do this, <laughs> and now nobody can get in the building. Um, so it's just, 
How much of this is 100% accurate is pretty unclear at this point. What is clear, though, is that the atmosphere on Twitter has already kind of disintegrated. There's a lot of a lot more toxicity being tolerated on the platform. And uh, many, uh, you know, writers, artists, uh, celebrities, and just regular old individuals have decided to run for the hills. Um, and although Twitter still has a very, very sizable uh, number of subscribers, there is increasingly a sense that maybe uh, the platform won't make it. Um, the um, The Guardian in uh, over in the UK has actually um, very recently uh, published an article that... Uh, users are urged by uh, experts uh, to back up all of their tweets to request their archive because the uh, company may implode the way it is currently going. Um, and of course, there's a lot of discussion on Twitter about what the world without Twitter might look like. More specifically, where should everybody go instead? Um, Instagram is obviously a very different beast. Some people obviously indicating that they might go back to the, the much maligned Tumblr. Uh, those people that are still on Tumblr, of course, not interested in having anybody from Twitter come back, apparently. And there's been a lot of going back and forth there. Reddit, obviously, is a very, very different beast. Some people are looking at maybe, you know, starting up discords for specialized areas. But that, again, is not sort of an open situation um, as Twitter is. There doesn't seem to be a very good a 100% one-to-one equivalent of Twitter out there um, that could be, um, you know, a new home. I know uh, one of the original Twitter creators actually is, uh, you know, putting up a closed beta right now for something called Blue Sky, uh, which might be uh, in competition with Twitter eventually, but that is obviously not up and running yet. And then, of course, there's uh, Mastodon from the Fediverse, which is not exactly 100% as user-friendly as Twitter and does require a little bit of uh, extra leg work to get up and running. So, um, you know, <laughs> the world could look very different as far as, you know, uh, social media is concerned, especially considering how much... Um, quote-unquote high-impact stuff uh, happens on Twitter. I mean, you know, the, the, the Arab Spring several years ago famously used Twitter a lot. A lot of reporters and news organizations are on there. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of pronouncements came back with certain, uh, you know, politicians uh, through Twitter. So if this, if this sucker goes the way of the dodo, um, the, the social media landscape would look significantly different. What say you, Chris? Yeah, it's really interesting because... Um... I had seen some extensive, you know, research and reporting done on on Elon Musk's, Musk's behavior and his previous uh, business acumen or lack thereof. It would seem, you know, so let's let's make things very plain and clear: is he did not create Tesla. He he very much just invested in the company, took it over, and you could see the steady decline. You had Tesla sitting on. Uh, bursting into flames, setting on fire. Um, and so this seems like it's an even more uh, expedited decline in the brand uh, when it comes to Twitter. And to put that in perspective for some of our American sports uh, consumers, um, $44 billion would buy him about half of the NFL franchises uh, in the United States. So um, really, really crazy to watch this happen. Twitter is my preferred platform personally when it comes to social media. I'm not very photocentric. So Instagram, while we do have a large number of followers, it is not my go-to place in my personal time because I don't take a lot of photos and 
uh, things of that nature. Also, collecting is not my go-to thing, and that's a large part of of you know the action that goes on nerd uh, Instagram is the collecting community. And if that's your bag, all the more power to you. It's just personally not of interest to me. Um, uh, I've tried Mastodon. It took me three weeks to get in. And now that I'm finally in, uh, I have an error message and a glitch and the app is frozen. Uh, alternate apps uh, that you suggested to me, I can't even get into. So I'm, I'm quite frustrated with Mastodon. Tumblr has never been interesting to me. And I will uh, I will scour the seventh circle of hell before I go back to Facebook. So um, all, all at the same time, it's really, really interesting to almost have like a front row seat for um, uh, Nero and the burning of Rome to borrow a history reference. Um, and as of this time, uh, you know, the the Twitter account of one Donald Trump has been reinstated uh, as a result of the Twitter poll that Musk himself tweeted out, you know, because that's how, you know, things like of, of that nature should be instituted. Um, and also, as of last night, uh, CBS News has pulled all of their um, their forces from Twitter uh so it is really going to be interesting to watch develop over the next coming weeks. And even by the time this episode airs, we may have a completely different atmosphere. Yeah, to say, to, to say nothing of the advertiser vo- woes that he uh, apparently is having with Twitter, where a lot of advertisers, you know, they abhor this sort of instability, uh, already also like pulling ads. Um, and I remember reading, like, I think it's Tesla or something, some one of his other companies is like purchasing ad space on, on Twitter because, you know, they're having trouble finding people to purchase ads on Twitter. I mean... It's it's what what is this the circle of wealth like you're gonna have one company financially support your other company, um it's 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 a very very weird situation and I am I am watching with bated breath to see where all this goes. Now I will also say that I I find that the uh, bad experience that you've had with Mastodon really regrettable because I think so far it's probably the closest to a uh, functioning Twitter alternative. There are some, um, as I mentioned earlier, there are some elements that are not exactly user-friendly and there are things to figure out. Um, but I, I have already kind of been uh, lucky enough to fall into a really interesting comics-adjacent community of artists and writers and um, having a lot of fun communicating with people. I, I noticed George Takei, uh, famously uh, Sulu of Star Trek, has popped up on Mastodon as well. Um, so once once you get it figured out and set up, it's it's about the closest thing to Twitter you're going to get. Um, but it's it is obviously uh, as we've discovered, not without issues. Um, and and maybe you know all the doom and gloom sayers are incorrect, and and Twitter's going to swing back around. I've seen some uh, rumors indicate that Musk is looking for somebody else to run the company, and he wants to take a step back, which is probably the best case scenario right now to get somebody in there who actually knows what they're doing when it comes to running a social media company um, because very clearly uh, he does not but uh, it also bears remembering that he is still going to be the guy behind whatever CEO he hires and what Musk says goes and right now everything he has said so far doesn't seem to be going very well yeah and and just one final note I found it one I guess I guess one of the silver linings of this entire debacle a big pharma company who regularly price gouges uh, people who 
depend on that insulin and things of that nature to live on, uh, losing a sizable amount of money, uh, I will dance on that grave anytime. There is there is nothing quite like what happens when uh, chaos ensues and the little spaces that um, low-key like internet trolls find for themselves mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to do some really interesting uh, damage. Let's put it that way. It reminds me a little bit of the whole GameStop a GameStop stock trading thing from a from a few months back, you know, like there's these little tricksters getting online and messing with the man is always an interesting time. Also, also people buying verified accounts to pose as SpaceX, Musk's other company, uh, and Tesla, and tweeting out ridiculous things to to make fun of Musk, and also the fact that you can't change your um, display name because people were making too much fun of him uh it's that that was probably my favorite part of of everything that's that's developed since then yeah there's definitely been at least some fun to be had in in within this unholy mess of messes now chris what have you gotten for us this week for the news well, rumors are floating around that the next street-level hero of the Marvel Cinematic Universe may be well on her way. According to Giant Freakin' Robot, their, quote, trusted and proven sources, end quote, tell the site that Jenna Ortega is set to portray White Tiger in the upcoming series Daredevil Born Again. Ortega, currently starring as Wednesday Adams in her titular uh, Netflix series, has been a rising star in Hollywood, also after featuring in 2022's Scream. Um, well, there are two different female characters who have held the title of White Tiger, Robot speculates that Ortega will uh, portray Angela Del Toro's uh, version of the character who in the comics finds herself under the tutelage of Matt Murdock following the murder of the original White Tiger and uncle to Angela Hector Ayala. The moniker would later be passed on to Ava Ayala, aunt to Angela and younger sister to Hector after Angela's heel turn. My personal experience with the character is almost exclusively to Hector and Ava, but I'm psyched nonetheless that these rumors are indeed true. What say you, Dave? That I really know almost next to nothing about why Tiger. Now, I will say that uh, Miss Ortega's acting is, of course, absolutely fascinating, and I'm very interested to see where she's going and having somebody of her talents uh, joining the MCU is never a bad thing. Um, however, I, I really just don't know much about the character. Do you, do you know a little something, something that would you know help me maybe uh, figure a little something out here? Yeah. So this is this is a flashback to a previous episode where we had underrated characters that need more shine. If you'll remember. Um, oh yes. And and so I particularly fell in love with the character with Al Ewing's uh, Mighty Avengers. Um, there's just something about street level characters. Maybe it's the whole world outside your window type of thing um, that really appeals to me. Um, also, of course, you know, being a huge fan of Latin culture and seeing, you know, that culture represented there of Puerto Rican descent. Um, so that's really, really fun. Um, and also there's like, you know, martial arts influence. There's, you know, mystical amulets involved that give her her powers so there's just a lot to love about this character, and my personal nerd commendation amongst of of nerd commendations is number one anything Al Ewing writes, but uh, particularly that Mighty Avengers run. Well, I'm definitely going to have to make myself smart then because I'm very much looking forward to Daredevil Reborn. Um, I'm a big fan, obviously, of Charlie Cox's portrayal, as seems to be pretty much everybody under the face of the earth, of the sun. You know, it's just absolutely ridiculous. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here for this. I just have to make myself smart a little bit before the show comes out, I think. 
All right, that wraps up the nerd news segment for this week. Uh, when we return, we descend upon the Nerd World Cup. Welcome back to this week's main segment. We call it our byword. And in celebration, by the time this episode airs, we will be deep in the thick of the World Cup in Qatar. And so as of the time this episode releases, I believe we'll be in the round of 16. So we have each assembled our own team of eight, which totals, of course, to 16 of international heroes. Um, Of course, there are plenty of American-born heroes in American comics, go figure. So we wanted to make sure that the characters that we chose represented countries from around the world. So we have each assembled a team of eight, and we're going to post these out on our socials, and we will see who the winners are. So a civil war, if you will, amongst the byword. We've got Team Dave squaring off against my team. Um, Dave, who is the first member of Team Dave? Uh, the first member of Team Dave should really need no introduction, even for a non-DC, non-Vertigo individual such as yourself. Um, and that is, of course, John Constantine. Um, for those not in the know, uh, Constantine was uh, created by Alan Moore, uh, Stephen Bissett, Rick Veitch, and John Todleben, and is um, made his first appearance in Swamp Thing 37 back in June 1985 before getting his own series in 1988. Um, Constantine is uh, a magician. He is a occult detective, and he is... Um, sort of a con man. Uh, he's full of, you know, cynicism, wit. He's, he's smart, uh, but he's also kind of a jerk. Um, he's constantly chain smoking, which gets him into more than a bit of trouble in, you know, various storylines. And uh, the visual inspiration um, for uh, the character was, uh, so rumor has it, none other than Sting. Um, the character has been obviously around forever. He starred in Hellblazer, which is the longest running and probably arguably the most successful title of DC's Vertigo imprint. Um, he was even um, like, I think, third in Empire's um, rank, Empire Magazine's ranking of 50 greatest comic book characters of all time. Uh, he's popped up in uh, movies, uh, regrettably, <laughs> regrettably played by Keanu Reeves. Not a very good adaptation. Uh, he also has popped up in his own show, which later was folded into the Arrowverse. Uh, much, much better adaptation, believe it or not, uh, played by Matt Ryan. Uh, he's also um, popped up in uh, various cartoons over the years. Um, finally, uh, I think it probably uh, pays to mention that uh, there's been sort of a, a twist on the character uh, in a female version in Netflix's The Sandman, which was absolutely fantastic as well and very much sort of in line with the general flavor of who Constantine is. So uh, obviously Constantine, as a big Vertigo fan, would have to be on my team. Yeah, my experience with the character, aside from you know being a sideline spectator, um, comes exclusively from... Uh, Sandman. I've read the first 12 issues of the series uh, and greatly, greatly enjoyed it. Um, and then, of course, the the Netflix series, which I enjoyed as well. So that is 
the length of the breadth of my John Constantine um, knowledge. I think he may have popped up on a couple of animated shows that I watch, but other than that, it's exclusively Sandman. All right, Chris. Well, who is your first team member? Who have you got? This almost feels unfair at this point. Um, but my first pick is the goddess herself, Aurora Monroe, perhaps best known as uh, her mutant codename Storm, who will represent the nation of Kenya and is Kenyan royalty. Probably one of, if not the most recognizable character in comics, certainly amongst um, the most recognizable black woman. Um, it just represents so much to so many different people. Uh, she originally... Uh, was created and first debuted in Giant Size X-Men number one in April of 1975 by Len Wein and Dave Cockrum, would of course go on to be one of the most important uh, characters of the X-Men franchise in Marvel Comics at large. She is currently, um, you know, running things on Araco um, as the Regent of Soul and um, one of one of the most important characters in the nerd world. And so she has to be my first pick. And what a pick it is. Uh, obviously, Storm is a fantastic character. As Although I'm not probably the biggest X-Men fan, even I know who Storm is and uh, obviously enjoyed the character in the animated series as well as several comic books. So uh, good on you, man. That's a great first pick. All right, Dave, we saw this pick from miles and miles away. Well, again, being sort of the DC guy, it should not be a surprise that uh, I would be right up there in the Trinity picking Wonder Woman, who is from Themyscira, an arguably uh, an arguably Greek or Mediterranean island. Um, really, how much can I say about Wonder Woman that hasn't already been said? Created in, uh, by American psychologist uh, William Moulton Marston. Uh, she's gone on to become one of the uh, most popular comic book heroes of all time, starring in her own comic book on and off throughout the years, um, having some absolutely fantastic writers rotating through, uh, including, of course, the incomparable George Perez, uh, who did absolutely just banger work on, on Wonder Woman, um, written by uh, Greg Rucka at one point, which is another fantastic run, uh, obviously has been a star of television and, and major, major motion pictures, been in several cartoons uh the character is all over the place incredibly powerful nearly superman level we could say um and no matter what you say next the victory of storm versus wonder woman in dc versus marvel in the 90s does not count natch no i i love the wonder family and wonder woman uh in particular i've gotten a, a crash course in reading a friend of the show, Stephanie Williams's Nubia work uh, at DC. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of the wonder family at large. And I'm, I'm even more intrigued to, to, to dive deeper into the, the mythos and the lore of wonder woman. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think uh, I have several runs that I can recommend to you that I think you will really, really enjoy because this is just a fantastic character. Anywho, that brings us to our uh, second team. Chris member. What have you got? Well, uh, our loyal listener and good buddy Kevin Ewing called this one uh, before I even made the list, and he's absolutely correct. Um, my next pick is Roberto da Costa, better known as Sunspot in the X-Men franchise. Uh, also, interesting caveat, because we are creatures of habit, we limited ourselves. Uh, yourself could only pick three super 
characters, Superman family characters, and I could only three pick three X characters, which the X-Men and the X family being one of the most global entities uh, and most internationally represented in comics made this incredibly tough. You know, the combination of that international flair with my love for them made this very, very difficult. But Sunspot had to be one of the top picks. Um, He's done so much. He's such an interesting and creative character. Um, He was created uh, by Chris Claremont. Bob McCloud showed up in the Marvel Comics graphic novel and then uh, made another first appearance in the New Mutants number one in September of 82. Um, And it just has really evolved. And one of the most interesting kind of through lines and biographies in all of comics, Um, he is of Afro-Brazilian origin um, and is really kind of an interesting take as a kid with a silver spoon in his mouth, but also experiencing discrimination, of course, uh, not just because of his mutant Uh, mutant identity, but also because he is biracial. Um, And so it's just a really, really fascinating character. Probably my favorite runs would be in Jonathan Hickman's Avengers and then Al Ewing's work with him in all of his uh, titles, um, mostly um, Secret Avengers and into U.S. Avengers Um, And then most recently on X-Men Red. So I love Roberto. He's one of my all-time favorite characters. Uh, Just fun and quippy and suave and debonair. Um, He just, it's sometimes cringy, but like in this suave and charismatic way, you just can't help but love this character. Uh, Sunspot, one of my all-time faves and a top pick for Team Chris. And fascinatingly enough, I have basically zero experience with this character. Um, this is a, a newer X-Men character, I assume? Uh, well, 82. So uh, kind of that that first um, new rejuvenation in the 80s. Yeah. So um, I'm obviously going to have to dig in to get to know this character because I know pretty much nothing about him. All right, Dave, I am absolutely obsessed with your next pick and I need to do a deep dive. So recommendations, bring them in because I love this character. Well, regrettably, I don't think this character has got nearly the exposure or uh, the credit that she deserves. But um, we're, we're going to go ahead and go with Vixen uh, from the fictional African country of Sambesi. Uh, Vixen was uh, created by Jerry Conway and Bob Oscar. Uh, she first appeared in Action Comics number 521. Um, she has uh, the Tomtu Totem, which allows her to harness spirits of animals. And she can uh, basically then use these animal abilities. So I know that she's probably currently most famous uh, because she has popped up on uh, the uh, Arrowverse. Uh, there was a CW Seed uh, cartoon, uh, as well as um, a version of the character that popped up on Legends of Tomorrow. I don't think this is necessarily the best version of the character. Um, she's kind of popped up here and there, but I think uh, where I kind of got to know her um, and really, really started appreciating her was in a run on on, on Justice League of America, um, 
where she's, uh, you know, there, there was a big uh, relaunch. I think it was actually written by Brad Meltzer, if I remember correctly. Um, and he started uh, integrating some uh, different characters, including a grown-up Roy Harper, Speedy, as Red Arrow. Uh, that was sort of an evolution that he was really pushing. Um, and then, of course, integrating Vixen onto the team. And I think she really had um, a, a very, very cool presence on the team uh, and m most justice leagues actually don't include vixen which i think is sort of a, a huge um oversight uh, on the character there's also a really cool uh, limited series um where she goes home uh, to her home village for the first time it's called return of the lion uh, this one is also really good um and so those two uh stories basically were my main exposure to the comics character and again she flies under the radar more often than not which i think is super regrettable because she's just such a neat character yeah this um i was listening back to our black adam episode um and i really liked the point because dc had always um kind i had found it kind of annoying some of the fictional you know, city names and stuff. I think they were unimaginative, like Star City and Coast City. But the 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 pitch, if you will, that you made about being able to make fictional analogs for countries like Egypt and and in this case, Sambesi, um, uh, the previous one with Kondok. I think that's really fascinating because you get that realistic approach, but then also you're not beholden to real world uh, history or politics. So I'm, I'm just fascinated by this character. My exposure to her has been incredibly limited. Uh, a few animated series clips. I didn't even know about the Arrowverse, but then again, the CW verse, the less I tap into it, the happier I am, it seems. Um, and then of course, with the injustice games, which have been huge in, in kind of catching my attention when it comes to DC characters. So I need, I need to do a deep dive uh, on this character. So who is next then on team Chris? Oh man. One of my all time favorite characters. And one of the ones that I lucked out in when it comes to being restricted by the X franchise. And while there is a marital relation to the X franchise, uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, I, I was able to avoid that. So um, I'm going with T'Challa, the king of Wakanda, uh, of course, fictional uh, African nation. He was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby uh, and first appeared in Fantastic Four number 52 in April of 1966. And I mean, like, what can you say? What more can you say about this character? Um, undoubtedly, you know, propelled by the amazing portrayal by Chadwick Boseman. Um, and, and the legacy that, that he left us uh, is palpable and is never ending. But I also adore the character in the comics iteration. Um, and I think that Ta-Nehisi Coates's run on the character is some of the best comics that I've ever read. I think um, it's incredibly imaginative and I think it's incredibly honest uh, and open about uh, geopolitical themes about what it means to run a nation, um, what it means to be a benevolent ruler and how, you know, history needs to evolve. Culture needs to evolve. And it's just a really fun, fun read, especially when you get into the intergalactic empire of Wakanda and you get the MCUification as it actually works in this sense of, the um the reintroduction of characters like Nakia and Mbaku 
And so I, I love T'Challa. I need to get caught up on the current run by John Ridley. I know some people have been critical of the run, um, but I'm still interested because this character means so much to me, to my family. And I mean, you've got the you got the nation of Wakanda behind you and, and all of the imagination that springs from that in and of itself makes it an easy pick. Uh, well, I mean, how can you argue with Black Panther as a pick for something like this? Just an absolutely fantastic character with so much, um, you know, rich lore. It's absolutely ridiculous. Fantastic adaptation as far as like the big screen goes. It's just a real banger of a character. So uh, perfect pick for something like this. And I knew already that uh, it was hands off for me to pick that character. I didn't want to make it too. I didn't want to make you too mad because I already picked one that was probably going to be on your list. Um, so I, I definitely knew I'm going to keep my hands off of the Black Panther. Yes, more on that in a moment. But um, <laughs> your next pick is someone that has been heavily teased and I have yet to check out for some reason. And you know what? I can't I can only say that uh, I'm, I'm almost cheating a little bit here. Um, almost um, in that I uh, I picked uh, Michael John Carter, Booster Gold, uh, for the team. Now, what's interesting here is that uh, it's, it's kind of unclear, from my understanding, uh, where the character is supposed to be from, because he comes from the future, right? Um, tra- travels back in time. Um, and you know, with a with a suit of future technology, and then tries to be a superhero in the past. He's sort of a selfish guy, um, glory seeking showboat uh, created by Dan Jurgens, and uh, popped up as sort of a supporting character in um, Superman comic books a lot, especially after his uh, own series. I think it lasted like twenty five issues initially, or something like that. Was cut short. Now, um, interestingly enough, during the New 52 reboot, uh, they actually went ahead and made him Canadian and put him on sort of a a new version of an international justice league, Um, which, you know, makes sense because uh, probably the golden age of Booster Gold in a lot of ways was uh, Justice League International back in the 80s and his friendship with Ted Court, the Blue Beetle, is sort of the thing of uh, of legend. Now, I'm also a very, very big fan of his... um, post-Infinite Crisis career um, in the early 2000s when he became sort of a a time-traveling superhero rather than just being a guy who traveled through time once to come to our time. He actually kind of bounces around the history of the DC universe and is like fixing, you know, problems a la Quantum Leap, uh, you know, issues with the time stream and stuff. And that was a really, really fantastic series. So just a really, really cool character um, that just happens to be in his most recent incarnation, Canadian. Yeah, and 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 they. Uh, I, I remember first hearing about him when we did our episode on like our favorite friendships, and so that relationship between himself and and Ted Cord really kind of hooked me. And I, I've been so inundated with stuff that I'm reading and watching and playing that I haven't gotten around to it yet. But it is it is high up there on my list. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I think you'll you'll enjoy a lot of their antics, particularly in you know in. in in Justice League, um, where he, him and, and Ted Cord are always like coming up with some kind of weird schemes and stuff. It's just a very, very cool, humorous era in the character um, and really in, in, in the team's history. So um, a lot to love there, I think. All right. Now I'm very, very interested in your next pick, Chris. What have you got for pick number four? So I've been gushing in recent episodes about how much I love ancient Egypt, and I only had three X characters that I could pick. So I had to reserve this one for Ensabanur, Apocalypse, 
A as he is going by now in comics, um, who was co-created by Bob Layton, Wheezy Simonson, and Jackson Geis, uh, appeared slightly in Marvel graphic novel number 17 in October of 85, but full first full appearance in X Factor number five in June of 86. I think um, one of one of the most interesting and compelling characters in all of Marvel comics, uh, primarily an antagonist for much of his history um, and all of everything that it entails with the, you know, his various horsemen of the apocalypse uh, was always an interesting and an intriguing character to me, uh, you know, was really well done in the, the original animated series, great voice acting, um, but really, really won me over in this Krakoan era. One of my favorite things to come out of Krakoa, particularly in X of Swords and, you know, his backstory being really fully fleshed out for the first time with his family and his motivations for everything and everything that survival of the fittest means. Um, so I, I have a roster spot reserved for Apocalypse. And again, a character that I don't know too much about. And, and notice my restraint, Chris, and how I have not actually had any Superman-adjacent characters except for maybe Booster Gold. Um, notice my restraint, Chris. I don't know a whole lot about Apocalypse. I'm, I'm a little bit familiar with that whole Age of Apocalypse um, uh, crossover event thing. I've dipped my toe into that a couple of times, and that you know was pretty confusing um, and weird because, you know, Pretty confusing and weird is sort of the standby go-to for X-Men comics of that era, I think. Uh, but uh, I have also dipped my toe a little bit into the the Krakoa era, and I've kind of slowly starting to get a sense for you know some of the characters. Apocalypse is a weird one for me because I know he was you know a villain in the past, and now he kind of comes across as just sort of like a a jerk. I guess he's he's kind of a jerk uh, is the best way to put it. I think. But, uh, yeah, just an interesting character overall and one that I could stand to learn more about, I think. All right, Dave. So very interested in your next pick. It is is one that is quite popular. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, if we're going to do an international team, uh, I think it probably uh, pays for us to have uh, Natasha Romanoff on here, the Black Widow, um, who is uh, obviously MCU-wise a fantastic character in a lot of ways. But I've started so sort of slowly digging into uh, some of her uh, comic book history as well. Um, you know, some of the issues where she pops up in, in Iron Man as a, as a you know, quote unquote uh, antagonist and, and you know, kind of digging into some of her appearances in Daredevil because her Daredevil apparently had a thing going on. That was an interesting situation. And I started slowly kind of working my way through some of her uh, comic book appearances. And there's apparently really, really good stuff um, sort of in the more modern age uh, various, you know, minis and stuff that are really good. And I can't wait to get to those. There's just something about a character, you know, who, who turns it around, right. Who used to be quote unquote, the bad guy and then switches sides and, and dealing with, um, you know, the fallout of that. And if you do it right, it's a really, really interesting situation. If you do it poorly, you know, you get something like, uh, the most recent run of black Adam in, in justice league, which is just a really, really weird, situation thanks bendis thanks um so 
Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the character. You know, I cannot uh, lie, and I have to freely admit that the MCU really did a lot to get me interested in, in Black Widow, but everything that I'm encountering in the comics so far has has got me more and more fascinated, and I really can't wait to dig further into the character. There's, there's a lot of depth here that I was not familiar with, so I have to say it's a great character. This is interesting for me because of, of all the MCU characters uh, that were like the main roster, this was the one I was probably the least interested in. Um, I don't know what it was. Um, it just, it never really struck me. And then when we, we finally got to her solo film, which was way too late as, as you know, most people will admit, I think the, the runaway star of that show or excuse me, that film was um, Florence Pugh's Yelena Belova, who was a much, much more um, intriguing character, kind of got all the good lines and the good material and the meat and potatoes of that film, if you will. Um, and then comics-wise, I've never really been intrigued to check it out. Espionage has been kind of fun for me to check out. I'm a James Bond fan. Uh, I think what what uh, Andor is doing right now with kind of like that covert operations stuff is fascinating. But as far as Black Widow goes, I've never, I've, it's never been a, a catch for me. And it's interesting too because um, you know I've read a whole bunch of Captain America comic books fairly recently because I wanted to you know read some of the source material behind the Winter Soldier and all that. And Marvel has like a really really cool, just a really cool setup I think for some of their espionage stories. And so I'm actually fascinated to you know dig much much more into that. Um, and 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 get to know more of that side of, of the Marvel universe. It is like one of those great untapped things that I just have never read enough about. And now I feel like it's time for maybe maybe to start digging in a little bit, you know? All right, Chris, so who is your fifth team member? I'm going on the other side for a little bit. I'm, I'm picking Victor Von Doom. Uh, I think one of the most fascinating and compelling characters when, when done correctly in all of comics, unfortunately, we have not seen that at all happen on screen. Um, Dr. Doom was uh, created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and first appeared in Fantastic Four number five in April of 1962. And I think just um, the more that you dive into the character and the power set and the look and everything surrounding him, I think it's fascinating. Uh, I detailed this when we were talking about Black Adam as well. I think basing that character as whether a benevolent dictator or whatever terminology you want to use, but having the importance of that nation behind them makes it so much more compelling than just a big baddie. Um, you know, and, you know, Victor also dabbles in the, the mystic arts and everything. Um, reading Secret Wars by Hickman and and having him as this godlike figure was really fascinating and and seeing the pride come before the fall. Um, even recently in recent comics, I haven't read much Fantastic Four, um, but when he's popped up in the X books and everything, uh, when he popped up in Judgment Day was fascinating. Um, mild spoilers, I guess. Uh, in Judgment Day, this celestial, you know, judges each character, whether they are, they pass judgment or do not. And then, you know, Victor Von Doom comes and he says, you have to admit that Reed Richards is smarter than you. That's all you have to do and you will pass and you will live. 
and you know von doom uh, doom scoffs him off and it's just 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 great moment so i love as as a leo i love the arrogance of doom um and even if he's not a good guy i still find the appeal in the character and he's one of my favorite adversaries in all of comics yeah i'll freely admit that uh that doom is just a great character and every time he pops up in anything i read it's just a real highlight it's doom is one of those characters that and you know just on the surface you don't necessarily think about being an international character even though he like rules latveria you're like for some reason it doesn't quite click when he pops up in a story unless they specifically are doing something about like international relations or something but but you know he's he's a great great example of a cool international character um so yeah big fan of doom here all right dave um we played a little bit um here because we you know with u.s born characters but this happens all the time when we have international rosters both in in soccer slash football and both in both in in the nba where you can kind of get like dual citizenship for international roster you know playing eligibility so who is next on your list yeah, you know, I'm 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 always kind of weird about this character because I never was quite clear if if she was necessarily US born or if she just, you know, came to the US very very young. Um but really in this case, uh if if I'm going to talk about a character that is not necessarily super powered but that I feel is still uh incredibly heroic, then that has got to be Roberta Lee uh from Superman Smashes the Clan. Uh, really, I would say that the the book is as much about her uh, as about Superman himself, um, and such a, a heroic character in her own right. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't even know what to say here without going into full gushing mode when it comes to Superman Smashes the Clan, which is still my favorite Superman book of maybe the last twenty years, easy. Um, but of course, Superman Smashes the Clan takes place uh, in nineteen forty-six. Um, and Roberta and her brother, uh, who are Chinese and or of Chinese descent, um, are, are you know moved to Metropolis uh, from Chinatown, and then encounter you know all sorts of uh, racially charged uh, harassment and 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 issues. And uh, she strikes up a friendship with Superman that kind of alters the course even of Superman's life over the course of the story. Um, she's just an absolute go-getter of a character. She wants to be out there and do something. She's she's so unusual um, for how um, particularly girls of the 1940s are generally portrayed in this kind of throwback media. Um, and I think she's probably one of the most powerful Superman-adjacent characters that have been introduced in recent years. I would give my left foot for a sequel of Superman Smashes the Clan. Um, I would even love to see, you know, the further adventure specifically of of Roberta herself, who is just such a great character. And and dude, as far as like somebody who goes out there, who knows what she wants and who's going to go for it, uh, there's nobody I'd want on my team more, no matter how powerful they are than this character. Listen, it is it is probably my greatest sin as of right now that I have not read Superman Specials The Clan yet. Um, it is it is with great regret that I admit that. Um, in, in what fascinates me before I even open the first issue is this is what happens when we get a diverse creator on a titular character on a main character like this, we get beautiful work and 
I, I'm going to sign off here and I'm going to finish up the last couple issues that I have of Devil's Reign. And then it is straight into uh, Superman Smashes the Clan. All right, Chris. So who is your next character on your team? Listen, y'all might think this is a cold and calculated move, but just wait till we get to Dave's final pick. And, and he did that first. So this is this is in direct retaliation to that. And I'm also playing with the rules of eligibility. Uh, she may be American born, but sometimes when you have strong international ties like this, they wiggle around that. Uh, so I'm taking Kamala Khan on my team. Uh, representing the nation of Pakistan. I love this character. I know you do. And that's why this hurts so deeply. Um, she was co-created uh, by Sana Amanat, G. Willow Wilson, Adrian Alfona, and Jamie McKelvey. And I, I, it stands to reason we've said it time and time again. In the last 20 years, I don't think we've seen a greater debut of a character. Um, there's just so much heart in this character and that's the one through that I think both in you uh, both you and I kind of cling to um is is heart in a character and well-doing uh and well-meaning uh she is of course a Muslim Pakistani American character from New Jersey uh one of the only inhumans worth anything um and uh, I I just love so much about this character everything that I've read from her has been a home run uh, and I've, I've got even more to read. So um, really fascinating. I love that she's showing up in Amazing Spider-Man comics right now as like an intern for for Norman Osborn. She's working alongside Peter Parker. I mean, like two of my favorite characters of all time being co-workers is just fantastic. And Zeb Wells, I love you to the moon and back. So Kamala Khan, she's one of the best superhero characters that we've ever had. And she is on my team. Okay, so I'll freely uh, agree with the Kamala Khan stuff. Uh, obviously, dude, she's like one of my all-time favorite characters. I've written all of, I've read, written, I've read all of her uh, major comic book appearances, including reading, you know, Champions, uh, all her solo stuff. Uh, I'm all about this character, and I still can accept that you drafted her. Um, so please don't come at me about the one that I stole from you. Thank you, Dave. I know nothing about this character, but I am incredibly intrigued. Ah, Lady Shiva. Uh, what a absolute pedigree for a character. Uh, she was co-created by Dennis O'Neill and Rick Estrada. She actually has a really long history. Uh, first appeared in Richard Dragon, Kung Fu Fighter, number five. Um, but she has probably most uh, closely been associated with the Batman family of books. Um, she basically is the greatest martial artist on Earth, uh, to the point where she can she can easily beat Batman's butt on the regular. Um, she also happens to be the mother of Batgirl Cassandra Kane, uh, which is uh, you know was a storyline that took obviously a while to reveal that she was Cassandra Kane's mom. Um, the stories that she was taken uh, as a as a small child and put into this village where she was basically trained from sunup to sundown nonstop. She works as a assassin. Um, she only assassinates people with her bare hands and is constantly looking for people who can challenge her. Uh, she has had, uh, you know, an interesting relationship, for example, with Black Canary uh, and has done actually some training of Black Canary at one point, wanting Black Canary to be her quote unquote successor. Um, every time that she pops up in a Batman comic book, there are some very interesting interactions happening. Um, 
uh, at one point she wanted her daughter to try to kill her and there was going to be this big this big face-off fight between them and it's just a fantastic character that's deeply complex and that she's you know ostensibly a bad guy but also has ties to you know a lot of the the quote-unquote good guys in the dc universe particularly in the bat family um and so oftentimes we'll flip-flop around helping the heroes, then, you know, opposing them. It's just a, a, a character of great complexity. Um, and so anytime she pops up is a good time uh, for comic book readers, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very intrigued because you said two words that have had me just fascinated for a long time. And then I'm, I'm deeply intrigued in knowing more. And that's Cassandra Kane because I see this huge, rabid, rabid fandom for her on social media and i know next to nothing about the character because what we saw in birds of prey as i'm told is nothing like the character in the comics and so i'm i'm deeply intrigued to learn more what you saw in birds of prey the movie is in fact nothing like the character and i would highly recommend uh, her solo series ran 72 or 73 issues. I bet you 10 to 1 it's on DC Universe Infinite. For crying out loud, dude, read that series. It is so good. I mean, ridiculously good. I'm in. Oh, good. Uh, that brings us uh, to uh, the least surprising event of the season. <laughs> and that is your seventh. It's your seventh pick. Uh, I mean, stop me if you've heard this before. The IDW Publishing series of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which began in the year of our goddess, 2011, is the best comic book, full stop, in publishing today, full stop. And look no further than the seventh member of my team for that reasons why. And I am choosing Oroku Saki from the nation of Japan. You may know him as the Shredder, but, oh, friend, heavy, 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 heavy spoilers for the current ongoing. Oroku Saki is now on the side of the angels, my friends. He is no longer the Shredder, and he, apparently my sister is texting me, uh, he is now leading the Turtles in the Armageddon game against the master of evil, of nefarious schemes, the Rat King. And what... Uh, Tom Waltz and Sophie Campbell and Kevin Eastman has been able to do with this character, the reimagining of this character um, has just been fascinating and the evolution. So originally created by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, first appearing in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one in May of 1984. What I love about this character and what I love about this entire franchise, it is its willingness to evolve and grow and adapt Every single iteration of the Ninja Turtles I have loved. You have something like Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is something as different as possible than any previous iteration of the character. And I absolutely am here for it and I adore it. Um, and then what you get with the IDW series, I've read over uh, probably over 150 issues in this series, including some of the micro series or, or addendum series. Um, the best homework ever reading uh, for my writing articles for now, Comics Beat, uh, the Armageddon game stuff is so, so good. Um, and, uh, you know, Shredder or Saki is one of the primary reasons why, because he's died and gone through hell and, you know, been reincarnated or come back to life, revived. Uh, and the deep ties to 
you know, Eastern history and ancient Japan, feudal Japan are just fascinating as a history nerd, as a Ninja Turtle nerd. I love this character uh, inside and out, even as an adversary, one of the best villains out there. Uh, but now that he's on the side of the good guys, it's, it's just all all sides are winning here. So Oroku Saki is on my team. Uh, the idea of a Shredder who's not a bad guy is absolutely fascinating. Uh, apparently, uh, everybody gets redeemed eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm definitely gonna I'm definitely gonna have to check uh, out some of the you know more up to date um, you know stuff because I am regrettably like really 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 far behind still in my reading of the TMNT stuff. Um, but I have to say that that that's actually a, a really interesting setup, and I am totally here for it, man. So I'm I'm gonna check that out. And now we come to the time in the show where Dave sticks a knife in my back and turns it ever so slightly to whatever the local time is in Germany. Your final, your final pick. I first of all, I appreciate the fact that you called me a in in our Google document right underneath my pick here. I thought it was. That's what Google Translate told me, but that's why you don't use Google Translate, kids. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 more like. So um, I don't know what you're trying to say here about me, but but, uh, but it is this character very much. I mean, he he does have his moments where that is fitting, I guess. I guess so. So Nightcrawler, uh, you know what can I say? Uh, I was going to obviously draft the only good German character that exists in comic books, apparently. Uh, Listeners, if you can find another good German comic book uh, superhero, please let me know because I have a funny feeling there aren't a lot at the big two. Um, because I went through like whole whole encyclopedia entries of superheroes of German descent, and there was not a single good one in here except for well, Nightcrawler of the X Men. Uh, and you know, obviously, was there anything cooler than the opening scene of X Two X Men United? It's like the best scene in the whole movie when Nightcrawler attacks the White House. Um, such a great scene, and that actually was is what jump started me wanting to know more about Nightcrawler. That was my first uh, exposure to him. And anytime I get a chance to to check out some Nightcrawler crawler stuff i do in fact um his book can you please rem- remind me what it was called or is called where he's like going on like a spiritual quest there during the krakoa era that was like my second attempt at trying to find an in into the krakoa era and his his sort of conundrum was easily the most interesting thing i encountered in any of the x books at that point um so nightcrawler is an absolutely fantastic character and yes as the uh, as the only uh, good German character, I lay claim to him, sir. All right. Well, I mean, it's this has been the nerd by word. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, what what more can I say about this character? Um, probably even more so than Peter Parker. Um, just a character that I identify with as just never quite fitting. And always kind of being alienated, even amongst well-intentioned individuals. Like, I never just fit in. Um, My complicated religious adventure, if you will. Um, Definitely complicated family issues. I'll leave it at that in case some family members are listening. Um, (laughs) Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So... Probably easily one of the most one of the characters that I most identify with in any sector of the nerddom. Um, also, he's a freaking blue demon. I mean, like he looks freaking cool. And and you know, you referenced it 
the only one of the few X movies worth a darn. And he's, you know, one of the primary reasons for that uh, masterfully portrayed by Alan Cumming. Um, although a friend of mine uh, fan casted Matthias Schweinhofer uh, from Army of the Dead um, as as Kurt Wagner. And I now I want nothing else except for him. So I, I, I love this character. He's probably my favorite character in all of comic books. And the fact that he is on your team. Uh, and uh, this podcast is still standing. shows how much I love you. I love you too. <laughs> All right. Your last character kind of came out of the left field oh, for me. Oh, man. So give me something, man. What's going on I here? Was, I was sitting back and looking at both of our lists, and I was like, listen, we are exclusively comic books, and you know, we, we are multifaceted, if nothing else, in our interests. And also, if we're talking the World Cup, You'd be hard pressed to find, uh, you know, a country, you know, I've already got a Brazilian on my team, but also if we're talking football, Italy has to be represented. And my favorite video game character of all time from my favorite video game franchise of all time, Ezio Auditori da Firenze, the foremost assassin of all the guild, the Brotherhood of Assassins, one of the most complex, well thought out, story detailed uh, characters of all time. I love Ezio. I love what he represents. Um, I love the uh, you know his tragic family history and his crusade, his you know complicated backstory. I mean, he has his own Ezio collection, his own trilogy of video games just dedicated to him. So all respect to Altair um, and all of the other assassins, but it's Ezio for me, one of my favorite characters in all of the nerd world. I mean, you it, it's you, you very rarely see me cosplay at all just because I'm not that talented, I'm not that creative, and all I had to do this time around was just go buy the Halloween outfit. So I didn't have to do a lot of work, but uh, I love Ezio, I love Assassin's Creed, and anytime that I get to include him in a list, I'm here for it. Uh, so my final pick is the Italian Stallion, Ezio Aditori da Firenze. The Italian Stallion, I absolutely adore that. That's a great way to describe him. Easily the best Assassin's Creed character, even to this day. I think we can all agree with that, right? Um, so yeah, I, I will say, you know, uh, a great pick. Uh, didn't see you coming at me with with a video game character when we've been very comic book oriented here. But what can I say? It's an absolutely fantastic pick for something like this. So um, yeah, man, perfect. But yeah, that wraps up our, our Nerd World Cup team selections. We will post this on social media when this episode drops, and we will have you vote on who's got the best team or square off one character against another. We'll find out how that uh, will manifest itself. Uh, and be sure to share your international picks. If we missed someone, please, uh, maybe outside of the big two. We were heavy on the big two. Um so be sure to hit us up on social media. As it stands right now, we still have a Twitter page uh, at Nerd by Word and Instagram as well. We may we may lead into that. So who knows what Twitter is going to look like when this episode drops. Um, but when we uh, return from this, our final break, we're going to give you two more nerd commendations. And we now return for our final segment. 
This is the part of the show where we share the good stuff with you. We recommend all the good stuff in nerd media. Uh, Dave, what is your nerd commendation for this week? All right. So I am back, of course, this week with what we like to quote unquote call the weird um, because, well, that's the kind of stuff I like in comic books. Uh, the odd stuff that uh, might not be 100% mainstream, stuff that is really good, but maybe doesn't quite hit the radar for uh, people who read predominantly superhero comic books. So let me go hit, uh, go ahead and hit you with one that is absolutely fantastic and which you can get uh, via Kindle for Comixology for $4.99 right now. And that is The Autumnal. Uh, here is the official logline. Um, her estranged mother's death brings Kat Somerville back to Comfort Notch, New Hampshire, a hometown she can barely remember. As she and her daughter Sybil try to settle into a new life, Kat discovers that sometimes home is best forgotten. So this series is uh, is, is quite a little something. Um, I, I really struggled for a little while uh, to to try to put into words exactly what it is about this thing that I really really liked. It is uh, from Vault Comics. Um, and it features uh, writing by Daniel Kraus. Um, and this thing is uh, so odd for a horror story in a lot of ways. It plays with a lot of the imagery that you would expect from a horror story, you know, small town USA. Um, there's, you know, something hidden in a commu small community. It's, you know, it's too good to be believed. There's a dark secret, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff is here. But it does this really interesting thing where it's really not the night or the dark or or, or that kind of setup um, that makes things creepy or horrifying. Instead, it manages to take this very New England, you know, um, notion of like foliage and and fall and and the autumn season, and and manages to turn this into. Uh, just a really, really creepy atmosphere. I really didn't expect uh, a story to do this well, uh, turning, um, you know, daylight into something really creepy. Um, and and this is really where where the art just absolutely sings, right? Because uh, you know, taking you know leaves for example and making them scary and horrifying uh, is not something that that just any artist can do. Um, I also have to say that, like many horror stories, the ending didn't exactly. Um, set my life on fire. So many horror stories take, you know, uh, an admittedly bad turn. Um, I always find it more interesting when people can make it out of the, you know, the other side of some a horrifying experience changed rather than, you know, just kind of offing them or something. The ending here is not a positive one, um, but it does feel of a cloth with the rest of the story. Um, so I have to say, if you're not familiar with stuff being put out by Vault Comics, they're definitely worth a look. And the Autumnal, in particular, is a great, great miniseries that really captures something special in the horror genre. So I highly recommend this one. First, you steal my favorite character, and now you ruin my favorite season with your horror agenda. <laughs> what can I say? I'm nothing if not consistent. Uh, yeah, so this is actually really, really intriguing. The art uh, and the covers are really, really uh, disturbing, but like in an, in, in an intriguing way. So I may have to check this one out. 
So I'm very interested because I keep seeing ads for this thing. Your nerd commendation this week might shed some light on whether this is something I actually want to get into. What have you got? Yeah, so my nerd commendation is my latest obsession. Uh, it is Marvel Snap. It's a digital collectible card game uh, developed by Second Dinner and published by Newverse for Microsoft Windows, Android, and iOS. And it features a collection of different Marvel characters from the Marvel Universe. Um, and it's just really fascinating because it's like... Um, like a strategy-based game, um, as most card games are. So as someone who, you know, has, has previously detailed, um, you know, my struggles with fast-paced gaming, um, turn-based is is really just like a godsend for me. And not only can you, like, collect some of your favorite characters from the Marvel Universe, they all have, like, a strategic advantage and or disadvantage. The locations come into play here. Um, you know, some of the some of the locations um, kind of nerf your character's abilities. Um, you can also just collect based on, you know, a purely aesthetic uh, notion. Um, but locations and characters have strategic advantages and disadvantages. And it's just really um, makes you it makes you really bury some of the strategy stuff. And then you also, uh, as of the time of this recording, there's a current event going for the Black Panther uh, world of characters with the release of Wakanda Forever. Um, so there's, you know, certain incentives and, and achievements to unlock for that. The previous one, I believe, was with Spider-Man, but that... Um, with Miles Morales Spider-Man, but that was before I really got into the game. So I missed out on that event, but uh, it's just a really a good deal of fun and unlocking stuff is, is really, is really a joy. And um, I don't feel beholden to, you know, stressing out over it and it's just a good time. And you know, I can sit back during my breaks between classes and play um, the school Wi-Fi hasn't blocked it yet somehow, um, but no complaints there. Uh, but this is a really fun game, and I'm kind of hit or miss with when it comes to most mobile games. But this one is by and far the best one that I've played in a long, long time. Yeah, I'm always dubious on, you know, um, ah, I guess I'm always dubious on mobile gaming to a certain extent, right? So um, I'm interested, obviously, uh, in in getting good mobile games. But in my personal experience, I don't have the uh, I don't have the pleasure of always finding. Uh, you know, really good uh, mobile games. So if this one seems interesting, I might go ahead and jump in and give it a shot. Um, it, it's not one of those situations where they're going to want a bunch of, uh, you know, microtransactions for progressions, is it? Well, so there is um, the, it's, it's almost like the, the, the going rate now is you can pay for like the season pass, for example, with this Black Panther one, and you get exclusive rewards. But in my opinion, what makes this stand out is you don't have to pay to be successful. The stuff that you pay for is purely aesthetic. Like if you want like this collectible one, um, and if you want to like upgrade just the looks, but like when you upgrade your cards, for example, it just gives them like, prettier aesthetics and you animate it and you unlock things. But for the most part, uh, in my experience, everything that you want to do is strategically based. And the only things you pay for are aesthetic upgrades. Now, see, that's the kind of progression I can get behind. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in this, man. We should, uh, I should definitely give this a shot. 
All right, that wraps up another episode of the Nerd by Word podcast. We thank you for riding along with us. Be sure to share um, your picks for international heroes on our social media pages. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Nerd by Word. Um, and if, if, if for no other reason with the Twit apocalypse upon us, be sure to join our Discord, which is located in those socials and we can include in our show notes as well. Come in, hang out. We've got some new recruits. Have a good time. Nerd about uh, nerd out about all the things that you love in a safe, a non-toxic environment, because if they get toxic, I shall smite them. And if you like what you heard, of course, jump onto your favorite podcasting platform, give us a rating, a review, and subscribe so you never miss another episode. You can find us on every major podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, TuneIn Radio. If it's anything podcasting related, you will be able to find the Nerd by Word, and you can zoom over to our very own website, nerdbyword.com, and check out our episodes there as well. And in those link tree links in our bios, you can find all the cool stuff, as previously mentioned, including merch. Please buy a shirt, buy a mug, all the cool stuff. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd By Word is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Thank you.